This week on The Take, we're marking one year since a pair of devastating earthquakes hit Turkey and Syria with a new digital interactive. Listen and watch stories of survival, recovery, and coping with the grief at aj.audio forward slash earthquakes. Again, that's aj.audio forward slash earthquakes. Al Jazeera Podcasts. The U.S. begins airdropping food into Gaza as Palestinians there face starvation. But aid agencies say it's an ineffective way to deliver much-needed assistance. So can the airlift make a big difference for the so many who are so desperate to eat? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. Let's bring in our panel of experts from Ramallah. We're joined by Bushra Khalidi, the policy lead in the occupied Palestinian territory in Israel from Oxfam. Joining us here in Doha is Tama Khamut, a professor of public policy at the Doha Institute for Graduate Studies. He specializes in international aid and also in Ramallah is Asil Baidun, the acting director of advocacy and campaigns for the charity Medical Aid for Palestinians. Welcome to you all. Bushra, let's start with you. As you heard in that report, the airdrop has been widely criticised by aid groups. Why is that? Is it not the most effective way to quickly get in food aid to starving people? Well, I mean, we're talking about 2.2 million people. Um, So, you know, let's just do some basic maths. Um, We're talking about you know, three meals a day, three times two, about, you know, seven million to eight million meals a day through airdrops. I mean, does that sound, you know, to I think a normal person that sounds ineffective and um, not extremely uh, easy to do, uh, particularly that first, one, Israel controls the airspace. It's great that there's been negotiations um, on this and that the Jordanians and others have been able to coordinate, uh, including the U.S., have been able to coordinate um, some access to that airspace. But it, this does not address the solution. Again, it, it was the same thing during the temporary pause, the five-day pause. This was a, a, a similar it's a similar solution. We were criticized for criticizing the pause. But the pause brought ineffectively nothing to Gazans except a few more trucks. But look at us five months down the line from the beginning of the war, and we are at the brink of famine. We have 10 children that have died from starvation last week. And, and again, humanitarians are being used, and the humanitarian crisis is being leveraged um, as a solution to all of this, when really the solution to all of this is a, a long-standing 17-year-old blockade on, on Gaza and a military occupation that policymakers have not been wanting to deal with. And again, this is another, you know, uh, clear show that they will not address the root causes um, and, in, and instead find technical solutions to address the humanitarian crisis. And so this situation has been painted as a humanitarian crisis when effectively this is a political issue and the solution is a political one. And we as humanitarians should not be used um, to uh, address a political solution. We should accompany a political solution. And there has been no political solution yet reached, despite the fact that millions of of, uh, global citizens, including world leaders around the world and policymakers, have been calling for a ceasefire for the last five months, including calling for a stop to a, a sale of arms. Because effectively, if you get a ceasefire, 
then you can get the trucks in, then you can get the humanitarian workers in, and then we can do our job. Um, still, the airdrops, we still cannot do our job. Um, the situation on the, on the ground remains exactly the same. Tama, Professor, do you agree? They may not be effective, but at least something is getting to those who need it most. Well, uh, Adrian, at this stage, when the, the entire international community has failed Palestinians, I mean, of course, I mean, getting some food to the, to the, to the rest of the Gazans who are stuck in the north, uh, I mean, it's OK, but it's real. It's not enough. I mean, uh, let me put it in this way. I mean, uh, Israel has full control of the borders. There are three border crossings uh, that lead to the Gaza Strip. You have uh, hundreds of trucks massing, uh, massing on the Egyptian borders, and the Israelis are delaying the entire uh, uh, process to, to allow aid to enter, and they're just allowing a minimum and limited number of aid to enter. Uh, Israel could easily, for example, open the Karmabu Salem crossing, which leads to Gaza and the north, and allow trucks to, to go inside. Uh, but, but that's not happening. I mean, what's, what, what's happening now, we see the entire north is being cut and isolated from the rest of the Gaza Strip. The, the Palestinians who are left, who, who, who remain there, they're, st they're being starved now. Uh, and there is no civil order, and that's very important. When we talk about aid delivery, even in conflict times, there should be a good conduct of delivery. It means you do no harm. You try to, your best to not to do any harm. So what's happening now when you uh, airdrop these aid deliveries, uh, basically it's a survival of the fittest. So you put people in this situation where they rush and they crowd to go and get the aid. So it's like first come, first serve. And then you see incidents, sad incidents of people also getting injured and happens, and even shot at by the Israelis. So it's chaos by design. While the solution is very clear and obvious, it's lifting all the restrictions on aid, opening the borders, and most importantly, immediate ceasefire, because you cannot deliver aid while the war is still ongoing. And that's the thing. So I think what's happening is more or less is, is a show, and it's an insult, and it's like adding more salt on, to, the end, to, to, to the injury. Uh, when, when these countries, influential countries, especially the U.S., resort to these means just more or less to uh, safe face their position and say, well, we're trying to do something. But the reality, the structural obstacles existing on the ground, they are controlled by Israel. And the only way to do it is to pressure Israel to remove and lift these restrictions and also allow aid agencies to do, the, to do their work in Gaza and to distribute and deliver aid in a fair and humane way instead of pushing Palestinians to fight over aid and, 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 and turning Gaza into a jungle where people run left and right just to find food. And that's it. This is sadly where we are now. Asil, I see you uh, nodding. What about medical aid? Are airdrops at least an effective way to ensure that vital medicines and life-saving medical equipment get into Gaza quickly? Yes, Andrea, but, 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 uh, but uh, let's remind the viewers. The entire health uh, system in Gaza has been demolished. There are only few hospitals. There are only one or two hospitals left in the north who are partially operating. Most of the doctors have been uh, expelled to the south or even left the Gaza Strip. So who's going to uh, process these medical shipments or even provide treatment to the, the people? And you know what? I mean, once their air drops are, are dropped to the Gaza Strip, they're not marked whether... I mean, they're not coordinated with okay. any civil order in the ground. So they right. create more and more chaos.
Okay, let, let's let's hear from from Asil then. Uh, I saw you nodding in agreement. What do you think about that? I think the question by itself is problematic. We know that we are at, we're talking about a situation of plausible risk of genocide, and airdrops usually are used when there is a natural disaster, and the only way to reach the people because of natural reasons is by air. And what we are seeing here for me is really problematic. In such context, where starvation is man-made and deliberate, I cannot agree more with, uh, with Bushra and, uh, I mean, the effect of airdrops, whether intentional or not, is to relieve Israel and its supporters of pressure to lift the total siege, where it has a clear intent of causing maximum suffering and death to, any, to as many people as possible. Like, for me, I cannot find the words to describe countries like the U.S., failing to make Israel responsible for just opening the crossings, like Karni crossings, uh, uh, Ares crossing, to end the systematic and intentional campaign of starvation. And they just decide not to and just drop aid from the sky. I mean, some of this aid will end up in the sea. And the most vulnerable people, we're talking about, anyways, people who are most really, really like they're sick, they're hungry, they're injured, they cannot reach it anyway. What about their dignity? Imagine you being starved intentionally, being indiscriminately under bombardment, and then you have to wait for some kind of aid to be dropped from the sky. And most probably you'll get sued at while trying to get this aid. So for me, the international community is actually failing in a lot of levels, just ensuring that Israel should immediately open the crossings and let us do our work, only safe access for aid and aid workers, and lifting the siege and immediate ceasefire can end the starvation in Gaza, not some air dropping. And for me, what's really important for us to understand is children are being starved in the fastest rate the world has ever seen. And the world can end this tomorrow, if only they have the political will to do so. And for us in medical aid for Palestinians, we're really devastated by the systematic dismantling of healthcare, by the starvation rate, by the man, malnourished children. Bushra, I need to correct you. 15 children are now killed this morning out of starvation. And we're just hearing politi politicians talking about airdrops. The US is talking about it's difficult um, the deliveries by land become increasingly difficult. Well, guess what? It's not a mountain that's making it difficult. It's a political decision, and that political decision should be made now. Bushra, what are we to make of it then? Um, was this was this airdrop virtue signalling, a PR stunt, an attempt to assuage the guilty consciences of US officials whose policies are contributing to the ongoing atrocities and famine, as one of your colleagues at Oxfam put it? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we know that the U.S. has leverage, and we know the leverage that the U.S. can have on the situation, and the U.S. is choosing not to use that leverage. So how are we supposed to understand it otherwise? Um, and if states think that by airdropping food, they are moving themselves from their duties and obligations as third states in accordance with the ICJ order, um, I am very confident that it is likely not the case that they are absolving any of their duties and obligations by airdropping aid. In fact, they should be using, um, they should be implementing real measures to put pressure on Israel. This does not put pressure on Israel. In fact, actually, it absolves Israel from its duties and obligations to protect the civilian population in Palestine. 
uh, Israel occupies the Palestinian civilian population in Gaza. And as an occupier, it has clear duties and obligations to protect and serve the Palestinian population in Gaza by providing them with the basic essentials to survive. It's not doing so. It's doing the complete opposite. In fact, it's using starvation techniques to coerce and collectively punishment, punish an entire civilian population. And so not abiding by its own duties and obligations. And in the same breath, um, uh, uh, its allies are doing are supporting it by uh, filling in the void and the vacuum um, of Israel's duties and obligation, and therefore thinking that airdrops would uh, fulfill these duties and obligations under international law. Absolutely not. Uh, and one okay. more point, I think one more point is airdrops should come with a full response, right? Airdrops should be used. And, and, and you know, it, it, we have to make it very clear. We're not against airdrops. Of course not. We are, you know, all for anybody getting any of the aid possible. But this should be part of a humanitarian response. Right now, we don't have a meaningful response. Therefore, airdrops should be should not be even like considered at this point. Because there are so many other options and lever levers that member states can use to be able to enter aid in, and one of which is opening one of the other seven crossings and letting the trucks that are full with food and water waiting in Rafah for, for, for a couple of months even. Um, so that's my reflections on, on that question. Tama, uh, picking up on, on the first of Bushra's points there, what does this tell us about the U.S.'s leverage over Israel? As we've heard many times on this program and elsewhere on Al Jazeera, the U.S. could stop Israel's war today by cutting off supply, uh, the supply of arms to, uh, to Israel and using its, its leverage. So on the one hand, it's supplying the bombs that are killing innocent people by the thousands, and on the other, it's airdropping food to feed the starving survivors. It's madness, isn't it? Correct. It's, 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 it's really utter madness. And uh, it's... Um... Uh, and you know what's what's sad about the entire situation? I mean, we know that Israel has to submit also its report to the ICJ because it's uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, because it's mandated to do so. And it seems like Israel is, even does not even care about this to an extent that probably the U.S. is orchestrating this airdrop uh, with some other countries just to again say face Israel and say Israel has allowed us in coordination. Uh, and coordinated with us to allow this happening, you know, and uh, and 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 again, I mean, the, the key question here is that before this war, I mean, there was a very strong UNRWA operation in the Gaza Strip, uh, and let's remind the viewers that UNRWA uh, aid was cut to UNRWA, and UNRWA is being defunded now for accusations that have not been investigated yet, and it's a systematic operation. So what you see here is. It seems like there is a systematic campaign of, first of all, uh, destroying or diminishing any presence for aid organization, including UNRWA, uh, then creating these uh, precedents where air is being dropped, uh, uh, aid is being dropped uh, uh, from airplanes into Gaza Strip, uh, then uh, what, and then creating this chaos in, in, in the population to dehumanize them, turn them into animals who fight in times of war, sadly, I have to use this, when you see these scenes, I mean, people fighting over aid. Who comes first? The one who has, has a higher chance to survive. And that's by itself, this is all a human-made tragedy. It's by design. And that's so sad. And again, 
Yes, we know the position of the U.S. I, I, I'm, 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 in, I'm in no position to defend the U.S. I mean, the U Americans can defend themselves. I mean, the U.S. government in particular. Uh, but, but really, again, back to the international uh, protection and international humanity, international law, it's an utter failure to watch this happening. It's like a, a dark comedy, and it's a sad, horrific reality to see this happening in the Gaza Strip. And the inability of the international system, the U.N., to kick in and, and do something about it, it's, it's, it's a failure. It's, it's a huge failure. And, I'm, I, and I, I worry about the future. I mean, we, we will see s similar situation happening in other countries because Gaza is, has become a precedent and has become uh, a case study of, of delegalizing de uh, de international law, uh, uh, weakening it, humiliating it. And I fear of, of a dark future for, 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 for humanity even because uh, of this conduct, yeah. I, I want to talk to you about humanitarian law, international law, uh, in just a few moments, uh, Tamar. But first, uh, Asil, is Israel actively blocking the delivery of humanitarian aid by road into Gaza? Or are, as it argues, aid agencies at fault? I just want to read you a quote here from uh, a spokesperson for the Israeli embassy in London who said recently that Israel is enabling the entrance of humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip and is facilitating the transfer of any amount of aid requested. The scope of the incoming aid is limited only by the handling capabilities of the UN and other agencies within the Gaza Strip. Claims regarding the food situation in Gaza are inaccurate and are intended to divert the focus from the ongoing failure of these organisations in handling and managing the distribution of aid to the residents who need it. What do you make of that? I mean, we have been working so hard in securing all these aid trucks, and most of them are just queuing at Rafah, waiting for approval, security approval. Israel made the design for entering aid really complex, and we're talking about really a lot of trucks that the UN, international uh, humanitarian agencies that have been really getting everything needed, just waiting for Israel to allow it in. Of course, I'm not saying that the humanitarian uh, aid has been uh, working perfectly, but the core and the root issue was Israel allowing the aid entry into Gaza. I have, been, have colleagues who have be, been waiting for hours, not even days, for, waiting for our trucks to enter Gaza. And what's making them wait is Israel's policies. So for, for us, we just say that it's not the, uh, the duty of, uh, it's not the fault of humanitarian agencies, it's the fault of the occupation who actually announced that they want the people in Gaza to, be, to use uh, a starvation as a, a, um, a weapon of war. So this is my response. Well, sure, I, I know you want to pick up on that, but I'll add a question to, to, to that. Uh, the Biden administration says that it's also considering uh, shipping aid directly to Gaza from Cyprus by boat. I mean, is that a viable alternative? Does Gaza even have a functioning port right now? And once it gets to the port, it's going to face the same problem, isn't it? Who, who distributes the aid? I mean, again, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I totally um, agree with Asil's point. Um, I think, again, the main duties and obligations under international law are Israel. Israel is occupier, and therefore Israel has clear duties and obligations to the occupy, occupied people it occupies in Gaza. Um, so that needs to be made very clear when, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, whose responsibility, who has the greater responsibility. Uh, sure, the humanitarian community also has a responsibility. Um, we also have a responsibility of duty of care to our staff and to our colleagues. 
sending our colleagues to deliver food and provide medical aid and medical supplies um, under bombs, is that principled? Would we, do we, I mean, we are having, you know, real questions within the humanitarian community, real conversations about are we breaching our duty of care to our staff as well by, by you know, asking them to work and deliver food during these times when the bombs are raining on them? Of course not. We should not be sending our team. So it's been, you know, so the, the, the I mean, beyond Israeli, Israeli restrictions, let's just talk about the relentless bombardment that's been happening over the Gaza Strip for the last five months that's also impeded our work, not only in terms of the, the amount of dam damage on roads, which makes it, you know, which delays the entire, you know, uh, aid delivery process. But um, but also the fact that there are live bombs while trucks are, are, are on their way to deliver aid. Um, so, you know, really a ceasefire is the first step to have a meaningful humanitarian response in Gaza. Without a ceasefire, without, um, you know, the crossings in place, without all of these restrictions, no okay. huma meaningful humanitarian response will happen in right. Gaza. Okay, Tama, um, in, the, in the few remaining minutes we've got left, I'll try to get one more question to Asil as well. But I want to come back to the, the politics of this and, and the, the motives of, of the U.S. In, in airdropping aid in. In its interim findings, the International Court of Justice found that at least some of Israel's actions in Gaza appear to be capable of falling within the provisions of the Genocide Convention. As we have established on this program before, nations that provide Israel with support could be found to be complicit if the court ultimately finds uh, that Israel has committed genocide. Could the US argue that by airdropping aid, it isn't complicit in any act of genocide? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, it could also uh, defend Israel and saying this happened in coordination with Israel. And Israel allowed this to happen. And this means that Israel is doing its best to allow aid into the Gaza Strip. And that's a divergent strategy. Again, divergent from the real issue and from the, the other uh, huge crimes on the ground. Uh, so so, so the, the U.S.'s default since the beginning of this war is basically to two issues, two things, two strategies, buying more time to Israel and protecting Israel using the U.S.'s influence and leverage and also the veto power in the U.N. to stop any or to block any attempts by the international community to stop this war and to allow aid agencies to act into the Gaza Strip. And the U.S. is still on this discourse. I don't see any uh, change in this policy, even in the negotiations process that are going now to release captives and to try to get to uh, a six weeks uh, okay. truce. Yeah. And so th that's the U.S.'s position so far. Okay. Asil, um, we have about a minute left on the programme. Uh, as a final thought, just remind us once again, as if we needed reminding about the situation in Gaza in terms of people's suffering right now. How close to famine is Gaza? What's needed and by how many people right now? And before... Talking to that, I just want to talk end about the airdrops. I think that it's some kind of propaganda imagery falsely suggesting that the U.S. is doing its best and people in Gaza are receiving significant assistance. And now it's like a fantasy. We're going to help them by air. We're going to help them by the sea. I just want to remind the audience it's propaganda. Regarding the situation in Gaza, it's devastating. Our emergency medical teams are seeing evidence of serious malnutrition in both children and adults. We're talking about entire population, over 2 million facing acute food insecurity. We have 576,000 people in Gaza estimated to be experiencing catastrophic level of hunger. 
the most severe phase of, phase of acute food insecurity that is marked by starvation. We're talking about one in six children under two years old in northern Gaza acutely malnourished, 90% under five suffering from infectious diseases. Projection studies, conservative projection studies, are estimating 58,000 additional deaths okay. over the next six months if there is no ceasefire. Not only not from injuries, but from okay. spread of infectious disease and man, malnutrition. We have lack of food, water, and med medicine. And we're okay. talking about experiencing crisis level of food insecurity. Asil, many thanks indeed. We're, we're out of time. Many thanks to all of you for taking part in the discussion today. Bushra Khalidi, Tamak Hamoud, and uh, Asil Baidun. This episode was produced by Gloria Wangiel-Asal, Uma Kulsum-Sharif, Veronica Petroza, and Jim Gilchrist. Studio sound was by Yara Atala. The program was edited by Mohamed Shobi, Zainab Bada, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Monday for our next edition. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.